I actually liked to start with the improv of the scene because mm -hmm. I always feel like you can get back to the script. But if you're on script and you improvise, you're always coming back to the script. So we'd actually go find stuff and then be like, okay, now let's add the lines back in. Mm -hmm. So we would find the intention of scenes a lot of the time. And that's where you might find some things that were just magic. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Maureen Barucha's new comedy, Golden Arm. The film tells the story of Melanie, a nice girl baker who must trade her whisks for barbells after her best friend Danny ropes her into taking her spot at the National Ladies Arm Wrestling Championship. In addition to Golden Arm, Ms. Barucha's other directorial credits include the feature film Fatal Flip, the movie for television I Am Watching You, and episodes of the series Eft and Uh Hey Dude. She was also a segment director on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Ms. Barucha recently spoke with fellow director Lucia Agnello at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles about filming Golden Arm. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Okay, so first off, tell me about how you found this script, what happened when you first read it, what spoke to you about it, and um, what made you say, this is my first feature? Yeah, what's funny is I actually didn't read the script at first. <laughs> um, I met the writers, Amory Allison and Jenna Milley, in a women's group, uh, like a basically like women writers, producers. Okay. I reached out to them um, to do some PR on another thing, and they were like, we love your work. I'd done some shorts for Sprinkles Cupcakes and Funny or Dying Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we have this idea for a movie, for arm wrestling movie, and we need someone to do a sizzle for us. This was five years ago. Oh, wow. And I was like, I just loved the idea. I was mm -hmm. like, I hadn't, they didn't even have the script yet. So I was like, oh, you know what? We can shoot the sizzle in someone's garage with a bear bulb and some smoke. Mm -hmm. Just gather a bunch of ladies. I was like, Betsy Sodaro would be perfect. So they didn't know Betsy. I was like, let's do Betsy. And then my other friend, Leland Bowden, I was mm -hmm. like, she'd be great too. So we shot the sizzle five years ago in a garage. Cool. They took that out. They wrote the script. A year later, we did a live reading. They got producers on that. And then from there, I went to go work on Jimmy Kimmel Live for three years, and they went and got financing. And three years later, they were like, okay, we got the money. So it was five years ago. That is not a story you usually hear where somebody says, oh, by the way, we got the money, and let's go make that movie. So <laughs> yeah. that's cool. Um, so yeah, you just you just mentioned kind of some people from UCB. There's a lot of Upright Citizens Brigade Theater alums in this movie. I mean. Were you, since I guess it sounds like you worked with the writers in the development process, were you guys, were you kind of introducing them to the actors and the comedians and saying like, you know, kind of adapt some of these characters to their voices? Because they all, a lot of them, you know, Mary and, and Eugene, I mean, they're all, and Betsy, of course, so funny as just writers and performers themselves. So were you able to kind of just fully collaborate completely or, or, or what? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a process. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely did introduce them a lot to the, the to this world because they they were not in that comedy scene, so they didn't know everybody in there. Mm -hmm. um, the kind of the way it worked was they had their the script, and we kind of worked a little bit. I gave notes the first round, and then once they kind of handed it over to me, I did my own pass. So uh, originally, the uh, breadwinner just won, or she became golden arm and just won, and I was like, oh, we need to have that like classic down and out moment. So I added the arm break and everything at the end. Uh -huh. I actually added the Jerry character. I was like, oh, we just need another layer of like, you know, somebody that's not having, that's not a main character, but just adds jokes when we need. Yep. And we changed a couple other things. I added the breadwinner. She was just freaked out to Golden Arm. And so once we had that script kind of tight, once we added each person, like you said, like I'd be a fool not to like use each person that came on board and like 
have them come into the mix. Like Ron's character in particular was, yes. Carl was supposed to be like a sleazy guy, almost like a, a Brett Gelman type we've seen, you know? <laughs> and when Ron came on, Ron, I had a conversation with him. Uh, he's a friend that we shot a short many years ago. He was like, here's the deal. I'll play it however you want to play it. He's like, but I see him as his mom was an arm wrestler. He loves strong women. He loves thick women. He's like, and now I'm just talking about myself. <laughs> and I was like, 100%, we're pivoting Carl yes. to be that. Um, so well, Ron is just so likable and sweet and has just the best laugh. You kind of, if you tried to make him a sleazy creep, it would just be like re a reach. Yeah. <laughs> it was also like, why would this guy own, you know, run this, you know, arm wrestling match? You want to see someone that's supporting and being lovable. But, you know, when him and Betsy, like that was kind of their pitch too. Like it was like, they're like, what if we have the sexual chemistry that we never kiss, but we're just, we do everything but. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, let's play with that. So for me, it was a lot of saying yes. It was like everybody pitching ideas and me just being like, yeah, that sounds great. And figuring out which things would fit mm-hmm. and like letting people play, but then also like keeping them, you know, not go too far. Well, that's, that's a huge thing. And I, I tend to work with a lot of improvisers as well. And, you know, you want to give people free reign to be funny, but you also often don't have time to yeah. let everybody go off. Like, was that something that you felt like, I've personally found like the best actors know how to improvise between the lines. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, within kind of like you give them little bumpers as if you're bowling and they kind of work within it, did did you find with so many incredibly talented performers that uh, you kind of had to rein it in or did you let them just kind of go wild and hope that it it cut? It was like a mix of both. Like, you know, basically like, I mean, obviously like I love improv, you know, I did UCB and Mm -hmm. I love improvising and I love improvisers, but yeah, sometimes it can, you can go off the rails really fast and you're just like, I don't know where we are. It's so funny, but we're not, we're kind of off the story. What I really like to do with a lot of the scenes was in the morning, I would go and check in with Mary and Betsy in their dressing room, and we'd talk about the scenes that were going to happen for the day. And so even before we were on set, we are almost like improvising talking. Yeah. And we would figure out, like, you know, if they had questions or this scene doesn't feel right. So we kept talking and communicating before we'd even get on set about, like, how we could change it, what we could do, what, mm-hmm. what they would pitch there. Right. So every morning while they were getting ready, it was almost like we were doing the work before we even got on set. Right. So that when they got on set they already knew which way to like improvise or, you know. Mm-hmm. And then another way we did it, what was weird, and I think it did freak out some of the producers a little bit, was I actually liked to start with the improv of the scene. Because mm-hmm. I always feel like you can get back to the script. But if you're on script and then you improvise, you're always coming back to the script. So we'd actually go find stuff and then be like, okay, now let's add the lines back in. Mm-hmm. So we would find the intention of scenes a lot of the time, and that's where you might find some things that were just magic. Right. And, and how much improvised stuff actually did end up in the final cut? I would say, I mean, I would say like a lot. Oh, really? A lot. And But again, it was like some scenes were totally improvised. Some scenes were scenes that we would workshop in the morning and change and pivot and based on pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say like maybe 40% at least. Oh, wow. Yeah. And when you say that you improvise on the day, you mean like you would have a location and a scenario and then just the dialogue would end up being fully improvised? Yeah, okay. sometimes. I mean, so the baseball scene mm-hmm. is a totally improvised scene. Okay. There was a different scripted scene, and what happened was that was supposed to take place at night. Mm-hmm. So we, we had shot like them kind of playing in the baseball scene in the day, and we're like, well, we got to wait till the night. Mm-hmm. We have magic hour. We got to shoot something. I see. So Mary was like, I have this like funny fantasy about like the hand thing, and I was like, this is great. Let's not tell Eugene what this fantasy is, Let's just shoot it. Mm-hmm. So we shot, and like, so that beginning of the part is like completely, Eugene didn't know what she was gonna say. And then we rolled like three times, and so I told, like, I would yell stuff like, now switch places. 
So, but that scene was something that we found. And in the end, we actually didn't even cut the scripted scene because oh, wow. that scene was so great. So it kind of replaced yeah. their, like, at the end of the date scene. I think Eugene is a great example of somebody who really knows. I mean, I've been watching him improvise for 15 years, and he's just so in the moment always. And yeah. I think you can really, for me, I really felt like I felt that on screen. Just like he's he just an actor just drops in and just so authentic and real. And I, I felt like the, their you know, you didn't spend so much time on their relationship, but I also felt like it completely was real and I was fully in so quickly. And I really think that's a testament to Mary and Eugene being yeah. just so, so likable because they're just great actors. But I think you can tell that they're great people and you're like, yes, I'm rooting for them. <laughs> Absolutely. End game. And the other thing too is my, my brother who plays Jerry. Yes. Um, he was so great about my brother is that, you know, he's, comes from, a, he's a stand up and He's, uh, you know, an actor in his own right, but he came and played Jerry for a week. He was only there for a week. Oh, really? And then he stayed for an extra week just to be by my side by, by monitor and pitch jokes. Oh, cool. So he was pitching, he was pitching jokes. Like, so the actors are all pitching jokes. The crew was pitching jokes. My brother was by my side pitching jokes. So mm. it just felt like everybody was like all hands on deck. And like, um, one of Ahmed's favorite pitch joke lines is I was born scared, <laughs> you know? So funny. it was just like, it was so fun because it was like everybody, if you had, you know, best idea wins, best yeah. pitch wins. So and everybody had that opportunity. Speaking of which, so your brother, I, I know, is a writer and actor. Uh, in, what was going on in your house? What, your parents <laughs> really into film or comedy? I mean, my or... mom's out there. Oh, so. <laughs> congratulations. Um, really good job. It's funny. I, you know, so I have, it's me, my brother, and I have a sister. And mm -hmm. I think of my parents as big movie buffs, right? Like, went to the movies all the time. My mom is obsessed with, you know, classical Hollywood. My dad likes westerns and more silly things. My mom hates my mom, my dad's kind of movies that she that he likes. Mm. So I always remember, I think of my parents as big movie buffs, but what's funny is my younger sister's like, no, they aren't. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, maybe I just clicked into that and my sister, that went over her head. Like, sure. it didn't. So there was something about what I like, what they did when we were younger about going to the movies or just love, like my mom and I would watch, I love Lucy. And I think to me, like the scene where they break their arm, like when we were shooting that, I'm like, this is like Lucy and Ethel. Totally. It's like gagging, laughing, crying all at the same time. So um, yeah, I think it was just like a love of, I would watch all the Hitchcock movies with my mom before I was 10. Mm -hmm. So just having like an appreciation for film and for the joy of like going to the movies, I think. And what about this sports genre film thing. Was that something that you've always kind of been interested in or is the story really just what brought you into the genre or have you been like loving? I, I mean, it was funny is that I don't, I, I mean, I've never, I did play sports growing up, but I was never like, I love sports, but I love sports movies. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like, stories, you know, right? Slapshot is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh, there's like a little bit of Slapshot in there. There's like, I feel like a certain age, you're like the Sandlot, like a mm -hmm. rookie of the year, um, Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, and even, I don't know, like, yeah. So I, I love genre in general. So the idea of doing something that you haven't seen was great. And if you think about it, there's really only a handful of movies in the canon of sports movies that actually involve women. Like, it's true. Really, like, you, you really can count are on your a hand. Lot. Yeah. That are comedies. Right. Um, and, you know, the process I, I've found <laughs> that sometimes you'll be trying to make something, you have your vision of, of what you want it to be. And then some things maybe don't live up to what you had in your mind, and some things are better than you imagined. Mm -hmm. Let's not talk about the stuff that's not as good as you thought it was going to be. <laughs> what did you find in the end where you're like, I could not have imagined that it was that was going to go that well, whether it's an actor or a location or a scene or just even a moment that, that kind of surpassed what, what you kind of envisioned? I mean, I think the, what, my favorite scene in the movie is the arm break where they're in the back of the room. And mm -hmm. I think when I was watching that, I was like crying and laughing and... 
again, my brother was by my side and we were just like, this is it, this is the movie. Like, this is the scene that captures everything that we're trying to do. So I feel like that scene in particular always makes me tear up. But I think like, um, one thing is Big Sexy's lair. What's mm -hmm. so great is that originally it's supposed to take place on a rooftop, mm -hmm. but we shot in Oklahoma in the summer. So it was like 105 degrees. So we were like, Dot Jones had come in. She had just had shoulder surgery. So we we're like, we can't keep her out in the sun for like four hours shooting. So we actually found this garage in the basement of the place we were going to shoot. Wow. And we're like, the production value in this garage is like unbelievable. I noticed that immediately when I saw it. I was like, this location is incredible. So you're saying the production designer didn't, you just like kind of walked downstairs and that's what you found? When we were scouting, we were up at the wow. roof and me and her went down and Wendy Samuels is the production designer. She was like, are you kidding me? Like we had to shoot in here. That's <laughs> amazing. She was like, you know, there's an old car. Like, you know, we, we just had to cover some signs, but that was like... A, a garage that we found in the location we were supposed to shoot on the roof. She was, uh, Big Sexy is one of my favorite characters. I mean, uh, her name is Dot. Dot Marie Jones. Dot, yeah. I mean, was that somebody that they were writing, or you guys were writing towards, or did you find her in casting? What was the casting process for, for her? So what's great is like, it's that kind of thing where light sh shined on her right at the moment we, we needed it to. <laughs> because we, you know, that character was like, it's really important, you yeah. know, and there, we went through a lot of iterations of what she should be. And when Don Luby, who plays Tessie, joined on, she was like, well, Maureen, you know that Dot Jones is a real arm wrestler in real life. Wow. And she was always somebody on my list. Like, but I was like, you know, you're, you know the, the shuffle of like casting. And I, mm -hmm. as soon as I knew that, I was like, there's only one person that can play this. Like, mm -hmm. There's only one human being that is the cross-section of actor and arm wrestler, and that <laughs> is Dot Jones. So when um, I had a conversation with her, and she was like, I was born to play this role. This is like my <laughs> life. <laughs> And so Big a lot sexy, of the, yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the stuff, you know, we had some scripted stuff, but when she came on board, it was like, you just tell us how to arm wrestle. Mm. You just tell us your life story and I'll roll. Wow. So a lot of that stuff is her really teaching us. And she really is like a 601 wins, like insane. Wow. So she, that the authenticity from her really, I think, grounded the movie and made it authentic. So you just mentioned the, the real arm wrestling world. Is that something that you and the writers did a lot of research on, or did you have consultants, or what was that process yeah. like? Well, uh, one of the writers, Amory Allison, was she's actually in one of these arm wrestling leagues oh, in cool. D.C., and so she has a charity in D.C. called D.C. Claw, and so she, her and Jenna, kind of came up with this idea from her experience wrestling in these arm wrestling leagues. And we have one, there's ones all over the country. There's one here in L.A. called Lady Arm Wrestlers League, and they dress up and they do it for charity. So as soon as they kind of told me about the idea, it was like looking into it and researching it. And it's really cool because there are two arms of arm wrestling. There's okay. the more entertainment wing <laughs> like this. And then there is like the more like professional way. So we were like, well, obviously this movie kind of leans into the cosplay and the, the theatrics of it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So your first feature, what do you feel like you've learned from this experience that you want to take into inevitably what will be your second feature? Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I, I kind of consider myself like a collector of people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think one thing that this proved to me is every, almost every single person that was on the crew uh, that didn't, well, we had our Oklahoma crew that we found, but mm -hmm. my DP, I went to film school with, Chris Messina, who is a genius. Wendy Samuels, she shot a, a TV movie for me a long time ago. This ADA worked with me on a, I basically, everybody in this movie I had already worked with, so it's like, find your tribe and your people that you trust, because mm -hmm. it's, that's how we could shoot this movie in 20 days, is that we just had a shorthand and that trust was already built in. So it's just having a group of people around you that you want to be with for like 
stuck in a cab. You know, we were in that cab, me, Mary, Betsy, and the DP for like a whole day. Who you mm -hmm. want to sweat with, yeah. get down and dirty with is the people that you, that you just have to keep bringing with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think you've kind of touched on this a little bit in talking about how you're so flexible with like, oh, we have this time, let's shoot this. But generally, there's some sequences that you can tell have been very shot listed and probably storyboarded. And, and that is that something you do with the DP or is that something you kind of already have months before you've hired anybody or mm -hmm. what is that process like for you or does it change per scene? I think it changes per scene again like Christmas scene who shot this we mm -hmm. went to film school went to Boston University together and we had it's so funny everyone's like you guys don't even really talk to each other mm -hmm. <laughs> but what would happen is we would run a scene and we just look at each other and be like mm -hmm. or like we we just I don't know we have a kind of a language that we he would he would stand somewhere and I'd be like mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if something wasn't working, he would look and I'm like, okay, we move over here. Like, so a lot of it is just kind of like looking at the scene and then just talking about like letting it flow and figuring out like, you know, with the arm wrestling thing too, it was, there's, it's such a repetitive thing. So we didn't want the movie to get boring. So it was figuring out how each arm wrestling location, we could shoot it differently. Mm -hmm. So that was, I think the biggest organizational thing that we did was like making sure that we don't use steady cam at the beginning and we only use steady cam like toward the tournament. Right. Um, but there was, like, we would, we would basically shot list together, like, the night before. We'd have our car shot list, and then we'd come together the night before and, like, really figure out, um, okay, what's from your list, what's from my list. Oh, interesting. And then... Um, so you kind of both had your own ideas for a list and then would collaborate maybe the night before? Yeah, like, before? whenever we would meet, like, because I have some ideas, but I also know, you make a list, you know, you make a list, you make your things, and then you throw it away. Sure. <laughs> so that you know, when you're doing it, you're like, okay, yeah, we already know what we need, and then it's going to change because the improvisers are going to move somewhere else. Right. So just being able if to you let pivot. Them. <laughs> yeah. I like to give people freedom. But yeah, sometimes you're like, don't go over there. Yeah. Um, 20 days is very fast to, to make a feature. I mean, was that something where you were like, in a way it was great because you were able to just like make quick choices and move on quickly? Or, or were there some things that you felt like that did constrict you? I mean, there were certain things that were constricting, like um, the tournament sequences. Mm -hmm. We actually only had three days in that space to shoot everything. Wow. And that ended up being like one-fourth of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so actually what ended up happening for that is we had, we had two cameras a lot of the time, and I asked for a third camera, mm -hmm. and they were like, we can't afford it. We won't. So I ended up paying for it myself. I was oh, like, wow. we need a third camera. And I, I know. They're like, we'll just make it work. Mm -hmm. And they're like... I can make it work, but the movie won't, we won't have as much coverage as we need. So having that third camera really helped, but that was the most time crunched thing was like, we have to shoot all of these sequences in three days, everything. Yeah. I, I it is, it is true that sometimes having a third bot, a third camera body really can dig you out because also sometimes you find shots that you wouldn't have necessarily even thought of, but you're there. And then all of a sudden a third camera, you can find something really cool, especially with, like you're saying, just three days to shoot all that stuff. It, it really, I mean, it, but it looks amazing. I don't think that I would have ever guessed that that was, that was done in three days. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask maybe one or two more questions and then we can open it up. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, okay, so the post-process. Yes. Was, <laughs> did you, it sounds like you really have your crew, your people that you trust and you've been, you know, doing this for a while professionally. 
was that something that you like kind of know the people that you're going to go to for your feedback and you kind of have your, your stalwarts or, or was it when you had new producers, I assume the producers were new to you. Yeah. Was that also, how was that process? That was, you know, because, because we hadn't worked together, there is yeah. that like just getting to know each other or like trying to get on the same page and sometimes you weren't on the same page. So that was difficult. But mm -hmm. in the end, you know, we, we all wanted this, we all had the same goal. It was like, make the best movie, make the funniest movie. Um, and it was a little tricky in post because we, you know, we shot the movie and then we were trying to make that uh, South by deadline. Right. So we, it was like, and you know, we shot for 20 days, but I did shoot a lot of stuff. There's so much, there's like so much stuff that we cut out. So we had our, I mean, I had my amazing editor, Grant McFadden, and we were just finding that we needed, so we actually ended up getting like a second editor to help just with some scenes just to get that crunch time. Mm -hmm. And Sarah Reeves, she came in, she's edited some of my other projects. She came in and edited and did some like, just like, you know, help work. She did all the big sexy scenes. Um, and that's really what helped. It was just like having those kind of two, our main editor, Grant, with the whole piece and then Sarah coming in and just doing a little chunk. It really, to me, it really helped. And it also helped me like actually work with two people in different ways. Yeah. So I'd go, I would go, I would work with Grant during the day and then Sarah was working, she was editing on Star Trek, and then she would just help me, and I'd go to her house, like, for, like, four hours at night. So wow. it was, it was, it was an insane schedule. We made the, sun, we made the South by deadline, got into South by, and then it got canceled. But mm. in a way, I'm glad that we had that crunch deadline. Yeah. But, you know. And did you feel like when you saw their different scenes, were you like, oh, I can tell who did who? Or do you feel like in the end, they were both kind of executing what you had shot or your vision for it? I think both were kind of like in line. I mean, especially I work in a really weird way where I think the way I can work fast is when we're on set, I know what I, I know it. I'm like, oh, we got it. And so to me, I have like this weird elephant memory where you're like, Sarah always jokes, like, we don't have it, Maureen, we don't have it. I'm like, no, we have it. I remember it was in this scene. If you go like three minutes in and she's like, oh, you're right, we do have it. I was like, yeah, I know. So I really do sit a lot with the editors to mm -hmm. be like, it's this little moment. We got to pull this little tiny moment, mm -hmm. this little moment to put it together. Yeah, I find for me anyways, to me the most stressful part of shooting anything is when you're on set, you know you have more to do in the day and they're trying to get you to move on and having to have that knowledge of, yes, I know I have it. Um, because, you know, you do, but if things end up shifting around, mm -hmm. you know, you never really know what you're going to need. Um, <laughs> yeah. So is that, not to put my anxiety on you, but <laughs> is, that, is that something that you, especially shooting a movie in 20 days, is that something you found yourself thinking about while you were shooting? Is, do I have it? Am I ready to move on to the next scene? I mean, I think, you know, I, so before I did this movie, I, were, I was a segment director on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Mm -hmm. So I think that working on that show where you're, shoot, you're getting your assignment, you're shooting everything day of, you're getting to your editor that day, you're getting Jimmy a cut by 4 or 4.30, he's going to go back and forth with notes and you're done at 5. Mm -hmm. I think that training really teaches you to like trust your gut and like you just have to shoot it and know what you get because if in the edit Jimmy wants something different, you have to give it to him because you right. only had that much time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't spend a lot of time, I mean, it's also why I think I like working in 20 days because you're not overthinking things and you really are just trusting your gut. And one scene in particular, it wasn't even a producer, it was actually Mary. It was the scene between Betsy and Mary where they have their fight, um, the details fight. Yes, on the on We the had to patio. shoot that so fast because we were trying to get the sunset for another shot. And Mary was like, she was worried. She was like, do you think we got, like, I was like, okay, moving on. And she's like, do we, did you get, I was like, I 100% know we got it. Yeah. And it was just also like wanting to make her feel too. I know we did get it. Mm -hmm. and making her feel and know that, like, don't worry, we got it. And, you know, that's also trusting, talking with the actor, being like, don't worry, I won't move on until I know we've got it. Mm -hmm. Because right. they're, you know, like, they're in the middle of it, we're rushing. and Right. Um, but I also think that's what made that scene great, was that they weren't overthinking that scene either. 
Did, did you cross shoot that scene? No. Wow. It felt like you did. Yeah. <laughs> so we only had a two cameras for like, we didn't have, we mostly had one and we were only a really? few times where we had two cameras it was the tournament scene. Um, and then maybe like, I think we had like two cameras four days of the 20 days. So if a scene like that, I have to assume a fair amount of it was improvised with the amount of screaming back about your tail is actually dick, et cetera. Um, so did you, have, did you rely on your script supervisor to remind you once you turned around, like here's what you said on the other side, or did you have the actors watch dailies to remember what they did, or, or you just kind of, they I, basically... Again, I have a weird elephant memory where like sometimes, and I think I use imp improv in a weird way. I don't, I don't actually like to shoot cross coverage of improv mm. um, because I think then you get locked in so much to those things, but it's almost like you might run an improv in a wide and then be like, this is what I liked from that improv, and we're gonna, then I'll feed them back those lines when we go to their coverage. Mm -hmm. So, and then you can riff off that and you still have coverage on the other side to like add in or edit it. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that might be for my Jimmy Kimmel days because when you shoot on that show, you actually don't shoot cross coverage of Jimmy and Guillermo. You always shoot Jimmy in a shot. So you almost like, you almost do like weird coverage, not the standard kind of cross covering of a, of a comedy scene. Right. The scenes that we obviously did do cross shooting was in the car, in the cab. Yes. <laughs> I assume so. <laughs> yeah. It felt, it was just two in that, in the cab? It was just two. Okay. Yeah. Well, it looked great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what do you feel like you would want to do next, having done kind of a sports genre, buddy, love, comedy thing? Mm -hmm. are, are, is there something that you feel like you're like, oh, I love telling like these a friendship story again, or do you want to completely toss it off and just start to do sci-fi or some other genre? Yeah. Or, or did you feel like coming from this, you want to do more of this kind of stories? I mean, I... I really kind of, yeah, it depends on the story. Uh, actually, during the quarantine, me and Mary and Betsy wrote a new movie together. Oh, really? Um, it was kind of the thing that saved me. Like, we, we kind of, after this movie, like, we want to just keep making, you know, the movies with our friends and almost do that model of, like, uh, Ryan Murphy, but in movies, where, like, you just take the same people and make a different <laughs> genre or a different thing. So sure. we actually wrote, like, a comedy thriller. Oh, cool. We met every day during the, every week during the pandemic we met, and we have a script that we're doing. So that's the next thing that I really want to do, but... I love genre, so yeah, the sci kind of like maybe a sci-fi. Uh, mm -hmm. I talked about Ron and Eugene. I'm like, we need like a buddy movie for you guys. Uh, so for, we're like, wait, let's, for, for Ron again? and Eugene. Oh, oh, cool. Uh, there's a scene that got cut out of them, and like that was the best scene. I mean, it was just fun, but we had for time-wise. It's like, oh, maybe a buddy movie with them. That's cool. Um, but yeah, I really like genre, and I I like that straddling of line of like being a little dramatic and kind of having stakes. So yeah, I love the friendship thing, but genre, I think. I feel like coming from Kimmel and doing segment stuff and, and having a background in kind of like parody and you've done commercials and stuff, I really do feel like sometimes those people who are used to adapting their style for what the story is do tend to find themselves doing genre well because they understand like, oh, here is all the rules or, or rules I'm going to break or whatever of the genre and, and can adapt a little bit more so than maybe people who come from, I'm not trying to slander the theater people, but like people who kind of come from stuff where they're like, this is my, vo this is my voice and I'm going to just continue do doing my voice in different iterations. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that, that you're kind of wanting to continue in, in doing the genre. I think mold. also um, because I come from a, my mom's Irish Catholic, my dad's like Pakistani Indian Muslim. I feel like I, I really do gravitate toward um, people that are conflicted or between these two worlds. Mm. Uh, so I, I do gravitate toward kind of like that weird underdog or just feeling conflicted and or straddling that line between worlds. And I think that's also why I like genre mixing. Yeah. It is almost like I like playing in tones that are two different things that actually they work together. Yeah. <laughs> and that I, might be just from my weird background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> feeling conflicted and torn growing up. <laughs> well, tension breeds comedy often, so that's <laughs> that makes sense. 
Um, okay, this is just, I'm asking you a question that I was just thinking about, about the scones. In the okay. end, what do you think is going to happen when that woman comes back into the rest, to the cafe and throws the scone again, away again? What is Mary going to do? I actually think Mary's moved on. I don't okay. think she has her bakery anymore. Okay. I think like you, now she can like travel the world and still bake for people. But I see. Because I, I did want her to beat her up. But I guess that's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> She's moved past her. Good actually, her. a lot of people are like, whatever happened to Steve and the scone lady? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's just, there's something cathartic there about yeah. this. But I guess Get her right. comeuppance. Uh, move, up, move on, right? <laughs> Um, so that's cool that you want to kind of continue to make to make things with these this group of people. Do you feel yeah. like that really is kind of you're like when you're talking to whoever your reps or whatever, you're like, no, I really just want to figure out my financing for this next thing we're making. That's like right now, yeah, we're trying to figure out that movie. Mm -hmm. um, supposed to be starting another movie in a month, which is oh. in talks. Another kind of indie, that's like an indie comedy thriller again. So I, it seems like maybe a comedy thriller will be <laughs> either the one that me and Mary Betsy wrote or this other one. <laughs> Um, I mean, I love that. I'm, yeah. I'm down to watch those those people do absolutely anything for as long as I personally live. Um, okay, so you did a lot of 20 days. Wow. I've also I'm been doing some TV, trying to get into episodic. You're tr you're saying you're trying to I get just did Drama Club. I just oh, cool. did uh, my first episodes of television. So that's that's really fun, too. Okay, well, I'm just going to talk about that for a second. Then. <laughs> so when you come into something like episodic television, I've done it a little bit, but mm -hmm. I, I haven't done it a lot for my own reasons, but this isn't about me. Um, <laughs> do you feel like you really like watching another person's TV show and being like, okay, here's the tone, here's the style. I love, again, because you kind of come from, you know, adapting your voice. You, do you enjoy being like, great, I can execute this and learn things from that process and, and just use those tools in my arsenal? I think, like, ultimately, like, features is my first love. Like, I just mm -hmm. love the idea of, like, bringing all the creatives and, like, getting together and mind melding and, like, just bouncing ideas off and, like, that that creativity and being on set and, like, finding nuggets of magic and being like, that's that's the movie, that's this, like, discovering mm -hmm. is the most exciting for me. So I feel like movies is always my first love. Okay. But I also really love TV, and I do think it's, like, a really fun idea, especially, like, on Drama Club, that is, like, it is kind of genre-y. It's, like... Um, and I had a really cool episode called like the Slumber Games, or it was kind of a parody of Hunger Games, but with middle school kids playing Capture the Flag. Mm -hmm. So it is it is fun to have that challenge of being like, what do you want, and trying to interpret that person's vision into mine. And so I think that just makes me better for the next movie that I do is trying to work within somebody else's playground mm -hmm. and figuring right. out what they want me to do. I'm like, okay, how can I interpret what you want? Right. And you can always find a new crew person or new actor, somebody that inspires you, and bring them onto your. Actually, the guy that my, my friend Chris can't shoot the next movie next month, so the DP from Drama Club, I was like, you are really cool. And so I have asked him to come do this movie. Very so yeah, cool. it was like I wouldn't have met him unless mm -hmm. I did Drama Club. I love it. All right. Well, thank you guys all so much for joining. Thank you. Um, do, um, do you want to do a quick plug for how people can tell other people to, to see the movie? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's available on iTunes and Amazon to rent. Uh, you can buy it on iTunes as well. Um, if you follow Golden Arm Movie, uh, you can see, you can find out more info though. But, but it's basically on VOD and everywhere digital, you can rent it. Very so cool. please rent it and tell your friends. Great. I'm sorry, I'm going to do one quick plug for myself. I, yes. got a new I got a new show called Hacks coming out on HBO Max on May 13th, starring Gene Smart. Check it out if you can. Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, that's it from us. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Stay tuned for future episodes featuring conversations with directors Don Misher and Sam Mendez. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. 